Well, good morning. Uh, I'm excited to keep uh, progressing along in our sermon series today. Uh, if you are new with us, uh, welcome. Uh, we're right in the middle of a sermon series uh, that we started a few weeks ago uh, called The Glorious uh, Gospel. Uh, and through this series, uh, we have essentially been answering the question, uh, what is the gospel? And beyond that, how can we be gospel-centered people? Uh, how can we be people who not just know the truth of the gospel, but actually live out the gospel uh, as well? And just to sum up really quickly where we have been, uh, we started week one talking about the character of God. And what we saw together through the scriptures is that God is the holy, just, and gracious creator of all things. That is who he is. And it is our responsibility uh, to acknowledge him uh, for who he is. And then the second week, we, we looked at the question, who are we or, or who am I? And, and what we discovered from scripture was that we are uh, human beings. We are created by God, but we are all corrupted by sin. That ultimately, all of us fall short of God's standard. And all of us have rebelled against God. Uh, we have all turned away from God and instead turned to ourselves. And, and here's the very bad news uh, that comes with that, that because of our rebellion, uh, the Bible makes it clear that now we are eternally separated from God. And that makes sense, right? Because again, God is just and God is holy. Uh, and so because of that, God must, we know, condemn uh, the guilty, and he must separate himself uh, from the unholy ones, right? Otherwise, he would just cease to be God. And so what we've looked at the last few weeks is this tension in the scriptures, uh, uh, this tension that's found all throughout the Bible. How can a holy, just creator God justify and save sinners. That's uh, the gospel tension, if you will. And so last week, we looked at the answer to that question. And our bottom line for last week was this. We looked at Jesus, uh, the person of Jesus, and what we found is that Jesus alone is able to remove our sins and restore us to God. Uh, why? Uh, because of who he is and because of what he has done. And who is Jesus? Well, we, we looked at a, a lot of different things. We saw that he is the Son of God. Uh, he is fully man. He is fully God. And, and what has he done? Uh, well, he did a lot of things. Uh, but we know ultimately that Jesus came to earth to live a life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserve to die, and to conquer the enemy that we could not conquer. Uh, Jesus came to remove our sin, and to restore us to God. This is the gospel. This is amazing grace. Uh, but that leads uh, to the question then, uh, how can we uh, receive this grace from God? Because you see, uh, just because God has done all of this for us in Jesus does not mean that this restoration is immediately applied uh, to our lives. That actually, we must receive this grace, receive this reconciliation. Uh, but again, how does that happen? And that's where we find ourselves today. 
discussing the necessity of faith. The necessity of faith. You know, I think uh, overall, there is a lot of confusion over faith uh, in our culture. Uh, And that includes uh, within the church. Uh, that there are actually so many people who identify themselves uh, as Christians. Uh, They profess to have some level of faith in God or level of faith in Jesus. But what does that faith actually mean to them? Um, And not to be too broad with this, uh, but I see a tendency uh, to swing back and forth between two particular uh, pendulums. Um, On the one hand, we see that uh, we can so dilute faith uh, that we don't actually have it at all. Uh, In other words, we can so lower the bar of faith that it's sort of useless. It doesn't even mean uh, a thing. And we all uh, know people who do this, right? Um, They say that they believe in God, uh, they believe in Jesus, um, but it really has no real impact on the way that they think and certainly no impact on the way that they live. It's totally meaningless faith. And so that's one level of confusion. Uh, But then, if we're not careful, uh, we can swing completely to the other side, uh, where we can so complicate faith uh, that we can't can't ever know if we, we have it at all. And what I mean by that is that sometimes in our efforts to not dilute the faith, um, if we're not careful, uh, we can so complicate faith that people can never be sure uh, if they're saved. And again, we all know people like this, or maybe you yourself struggle with this, that you continually ask the question, um, am I really saved? Um, Am I really a Christian? And and so both of these, uh, and and just in general, we always just have to bring ourselves back uh, to the Bible. That's the answer. Uh, What does the Bible say about faith? What kind of faith restores people to God? And how can we lead other people to put this kind of faith in Christ? Uh, In other words, what type of faith is necessary to be reconciled back to God? And the answer is, today is going to be our fourth simple gospel truth. This is week four of the series. Uh, And and the question that comes out of this, I guess I should say, is how is man restored back to God? How is this possible? Uh, And here's our answer today. We can be restored to God only through faith in Jesus. Uh, We can be restored to God only through faith in Jesus. Uh, That's it. Uh, It's that simple. But in reality, uh, every single word in that phrase there um, is so important. And so what we're going to do today is take the time to break down that phrase. First of all, uh, what we see again is that we can be restored to God. Uh, And this is simply where I want to remind us that this is the goal of the gospel. Uh, When we think about the gospel— the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And when we tell other people about the gospel, we want to be so clear that the goal of the gospel is not just heaven, right? It's not uh, so that people can just be happy. It's not ultimately about peace. Um, Certainly you get those things in the gospel, but they are not the goal. 
the goal of the gospel is God himself, right? Um, he is the great gift, and everything good that we experience uh, after that flows from him and that relationship with him. Uh, the beauty of the gospel, the reason uh, why the gospel is such good news, is that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we can have a relationship with God. The debt of sin is paid. Uh, our guilt, it's canceled. We can be made innocent before God, the judge. Um, but not only that, uh, because of Jesus, uh, we can be adopted by God, the Father. Um, and understand the significance of that. Um, God, as the just judge, he could have declared us not guilty and then just left things at that. But that's not all that he does. In saving you, God the judge not only looks upon you and declares uh, not guilty, but then he actually, as the judge, gets up off the bench, comes down to where you are, takes your chains off, and as a gracious and loving father, he says, come home with me uh, as my child. Uh, because of the gospel, there is no longer fear in life or death. Jesus has won the victory. He is the conquering king. Uh, there is such great assurance and comfort there, such great assurance in this gospel message. It's sinners who have rebelled against God who are infinitely separated from the Creator, you and me, we can be restored to God. And again, how is this all possible? Well, that leads to the second truth that we're going to break down today and spend the majority of this uh, time together. And that's the second, it's only through faith in Jesus. It's only through faith in Jesus. Uh, now, follow closely here. Um, this is where we want to be careful at this point not to dilute or complicate faith. Um, and these are uh, biblical truths that we talk about all the time, uh, but we need to continuously come back to them. We always need reminders um, of these truths. And so follow this with me. Uh, first and foremost, we know that uh, Jesus is the basis of salvation. Jesus is the basis of salvation. And we've already been talking about this, um, that's, that the only way that you and I can ever be declared innocent before God is based on someone else's innocence, namely uh, Jesus' innocence. And we looked at that last week, that you and I, on our own, could never stand before God and claim innocence before him. We have no capacity to do that that we have sinned against him, and there is nothing uh, we have done or could ever do, no matter how committed you are, no matter how devoted uh, you might be. Uh, Jesus is the only basis of salvation. And so how can what he has done be applied to our life? Well, again, that's where faith comes in. Uh, faith, we know, faith is the means of salvation. Where Jesus is the basis of salvation, faith is the means of salvation. And let's be really uh, clear about this. 
Uh, faith is the means by which the work of Christ is applied to our lives. Think about this with me. Uh, why faith? Uh, why is it faith? Why is faith the means of salvation? Why not love? Or why not some, something like humility or, or joy? Uh, why not uh, wisdom as the means of salvation? Why has God designated faith to be the only means of salvation? And I think the answer is uh, because, uh, really, faith is the anti-work. Faith is the anti-work. Faith is the realization that there is nothing that you or I can do. There's no amount of love. There's no amount of kindness, no act, no amount of obedience that we can do. With faith, all you can do is trust in what has been done for you. You see, faith is the one attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. Because when we come to faith in Jesus, we are essentially saying to him, I give up. Uh, I will not uh, or no longer depend on myself or my own good works. Um, I can never, God, I can never make myself right before you. So I am choosing to trust you, to depend on you completely, to do what I cannot do for myself. And then, uh, once we say that, once we assume this posture of faith in Jesus Christ, then we see that works are the evidence of salvation. Jesus is the basis of salvation. Faith is the means of salvation. Works are the evidence of salvation. That is, when we truly understand faith, we realize that faith automatically, or it might be better to say, naturally leads to works. True faith, in other words, always leads to right action. True belief naturally leads to righteous living. A person that has surrendered their lives to Jesus live their lives for Jesus. Uh, How you live your life is merely an overflow of what you believe. And so again, Jesus is the basis, faith is the means, and works are the evidence of our salvation. Now all of this, of course, revolves around a proper understanding of faith. So what is biblical faith? What is this faith that restores us to God? And I want you to ask yourself uh, the question as we go through this together, uh, do I have this type of faith? Uh, Turn with me quickly to the book of Mark chapter 1. We're going to be reading uh, verses 14 and 15 together. Uh, These are the first words that we actually hear from Jesus' mouth in the gospel of Mark, and they're so significant, so important. So listen to them as as I read this to us. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. So here in verse 15, we see that Jesus is proclaiming the gospel. 
And he says, this is the proper way to respond to the gospel. And there's two words there. Repent and believe. And as you look through the rest of the New Testament, you find that uh, these are the two words that come up over and over and over again with people who are responding to Jesus' message. For example, in the, in the book of Acts, when the first sermon is preached at Pentecost, the people are astounded and amazed at the message. And so they ask this question, um, how shall we respond? Or what shall we do, they say. And what does Peter say to them? How does he respond? It's in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He tells them, repent. Uh, repent and be baptized. But he tells them, repent. And so this call to repent, uh, it starts there as far as the book of Acts is concerned, but then we see it all throughout the book. Acts chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 8, Acts 17, Acts 26. Every time we see the call uh, to repent. But then there are other times uh, where the gospel invitation uh, revolves more around the word believe. Uh, for example, in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, uh, you might rem remember the story of the Philippian jailer, but the jailer asks this question to, to Paul, the apostle Paul. He says, what must I do to be saved? And how does the apostle Paul respond? He says, believe, there it is, believe, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And if you want to be reconciled to God, if you want the goodness of the gospel to be applied to your life, you must repent and believe. Uh, both of these are necessary. Um, so what does that practically look like then? Uh, well, first, uh, we know that uh, to repent means that we actually turn from sin and turn from ourselves. Uh, the word repent literally means to turn or to do uh, a 180. You're going one direction and you go the exact opposite uh, direction. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30, uh, God told his people, repent and turn from all of your transgressions. And again, what does that practically look like? Well, think about this in light of this whole entire sermon series. Uh, think about it in light of our problem before God, um, who he is and who we are. And so uh, what it looks like to repent practically is that we start by confessing our sinfulness. That's where it starts. We acknowledge that we have rebelled against God. We realize our separation from him. And with that, we confess. We acknowledge that apart from his grace, uh, we are totally hopeless. And this is key. Uh, repentance is not trying to fix ourselves before God. It's actually the opposite. Repentance is saying, I can't fix myself. Um, I have a sin problem, Lord, and only you can solve that problem. Uh, the great C.S. Lewis, he once said, uh, we don't come to God as bad people trying to become good people. We come as rebels to lay down our arms. Uh, and not only is it confessing our sinfulness, 
we also see that repentance is dying to our selfishness. Uh, Now, in the beginning of this sermon series, we established how the essence of sin is the self. Uh, That we put ourselves on the throne of our lives. All of us have a tendency to do that. We put ourselves in the place that only God deserves. And so with that, repenting means that we say to God, God, I no longer need to be in the center of my life. Uh, You alone belong at at the center of my life. You alone belong on the throne of my life. Uh, We die to our selfishness. Um, True biblical faith requires uh, repentance. We turn from sin and we turn from ourselves. And at the same time, uh, we believe. We repent, and again, we believe. And so what does it mean to believe? Well, uh, I think we can sum it up this way. To believe means that we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We trust in Jesus as Savior uh, and Lord. Uh, You know, it's important to understand that when you turn from your sin and yourself— In doing so, you are turning to someone or something else. And so, uh, what do we turn to? If we turn from ourselves, what are we actually turning to? Uh, What are we trusting if it's not ourselves? And the gospel response to that is found in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9, which says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead— you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so here's what needs to happen when we believe in Jesus. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe, we know, we trust in our heart that God has raised Jesus, his son, from the dead. This is belief that saves. And notice Jesus's function here as both Lord and Savior. Both of those are involved here. Uh, We can't leave either title out. On one hand, we see that we are believing in Jesus as the Savior who died for us, okay? We're believing in Jesus as the Savior who died for us. We realize, again, um, I am separated from God, and there's nothing that I can do to earn my way back to him. We understand that Jesus had done for me what I could never do for myself. So I turn from my sin, turn from myself, and I trust the only one who can save me. I believe that Jesus has made a way, a pathway to life by dying on a cross and rising from the dead for me. But if we're not careful, right, Uh, we can actually stop at this point and think that that's all faith is, but which it's not. Um, You see, if repentance is just turning from my sin, 
then all I need is for someone to save me from my sin. But as we've discussed already, repentance is much more than just turning from my sin. Repentance is also turning from myself. We need to get off the throne of our lives and place God there. Uh, We need to turn from ourselves or turn from placing us at the center of our lives and putting God at the center of our lives, which means a significant part of belief is that we also submit to Jesus as the Lord who rules over us. Biblical faith, then, requires that we confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord of all, including my very own life. You know, it's, it's so interesting. Uh, in the book of Acts, which gives us a history of the beginnings of the church uh, and a defense of the Christian faith, uh, you see throughout that, that book that Jesus is called Savior uh, two times. He's given the title Savior two times. But in that same book of Acts, he is referred to as Lord 92 times. 92 times. Uh, Across the New Testament, Lord is the dominant title used for Jesus. And so again, saving faith, it certainly means turning from your sin and trusting Jesus as the Savior. But it also means turning from ourselves and trusting Jesus as Lord of our lives. Now, uh, there's just one more thing that I want to mention about faith that's extremely important. What we're talking about here, uh, what Mark chapter 1 and what Romans 10 uh, is talking about, is a point in time, a specific point in time, where we repent, turn, uh, and believe where we decide, make the decision to, dis- to turn from our sin and ourselves and trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. And at that moment, at the moment you turn and believe, when you confess, you are restored to God. Just like when a, a baby is born, uh, there comes a point to use Jesus' language in John chapter 3. When someone is born again, born spiritually, and restored to God. And at that initial moment of faith, right then, we are acquitted before God, adopted by the Father, and assured by God of eternal life. All of this restoration happens at that moment of faith. And so naturally, that begs the question of every single person listening to these words. uh, Have you come to that point? Have you come to that moment in your life? Uh, Has that moment of faith happened for you? Uh, Have you turned from your sin? Have you turned from yourself? Have you trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord uh, of your life? The message of the scriptures is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. This is the glorious gospel. But 
it's only the beginning of your faith journey. See, that moment of true faith in time, in that moment of time, inevitably leads uh, to growth where we daily learn more and more of what it means to turn from our sin and self and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And while all of us know, especially those of you who've been following Christ for a long time, all of us know this is uh, certainly a constant battle to deny yourself every single day, to daily submit to Christ. Uh, What I have found in my own life is the more I know who God is, the easier it is to deny myself and to give my everything to him. Well, uh, so what do we do with this? Uh, Where do we go from here? How do we take these truths um, of our need for Jesus, this need for faith, uh, and live them out? Uh, In other words, uh, how can we be more gospel-centered in light of these gospel truths? Uh, Well, uh, let me encourage you first uh, to look for opportunities to talk about the restoration that is found in Jesus. Talk about the restoration that is found in Jesus. Uh, So what does that look like? Well, in conversations about guilt, uh, talk about the forgiveness that is found in Christ. In conversations about shame, uh, find uh, opportunities to talk about the honor that's found in Christ and only Christ. In conversations with friends and family members about fear, uh, talk about the freedom that is found in Christ. Uh, Talk about the graciousness of God because we even have a path to restoration available to us. Um, Second, uh, what can we do? Well, we can look for opportunities to talk about the need to turn from ourselves. So what does that look like? Well, um, we can point to the mercy of Christ when people around you talk to you about their sin. Uh, We can point to the presence of Christ when people around you have reached rock bottom and the ends of their selves. Uh, And personally, let me encourage you to be authentic about the ways that you are learning and struggling to turn from yourself. I think gospel-centered people do that. They're authentic. They're real. And they're, they're finding ways to talk about their struggles and, and what they're learning from the Lord so they can help other people. And then third, um, we can look for opportunities to talk about trusting Christ. Look for opportunities to talk about trusting Christ. So encourage people around you uh, to see the lordship of Christ. Urge people around you to receive the, the love of Christ. And again, Uh, Look for ways to be authentic about the ways that you are learning and struggling to trust Christ, right? Uh, I know for me, I'm I'm always struggling in in so many seasons of my life to truly trust the Lord, to truly believe in him, to truly allow him to be Lord of my life. Um, But be authentic about that. Be authentic about the way that you're struggling and, and how you're learning and allow other people to walk through those seasons with you, and I'm sure that's going to be a great encouragement to others as well who are, who are also struggling. So here's the thing. Um, we have the greatest news in all of the world. The greatest news. Uh, God has made a way for you and I to be restored to him. This is glorious news. And so here's my, my charge for you. Uh, share it. Certainly repent and believe it yourself, But then, once you do that, 
share it. Uh, share the gospel. Call people to repent and believe. Uh, call them to turn and to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, because this is the only way, the only way that our friends uh, and family and our neighbors and our co-workers, it's the only way that people among the nations will ever be restored uh, to God. God, we know, God is the holy, just, and gracious creator of all things. You and I, we are each created by God, but we are all corrupted by sin. Jesus alone is able to remove our sin and restore us to God. And therefore, uh, we can be restored to God only through faith in Jesus. Well, will you bow your heads and, and pray with me?